0: Go ahead and take your Bibles if you would. Turn to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 17. <clears throat> 2 Samuel <clears throat> chapter 17. Last week, <clears throat> Neil pointed out that there are two kinds of people in the world there are those like Absalom who use others to accomplish their own will. And then there are those, like David, uh, who spend themselves for others to accomplish the will of God. I hope we don't have to take any time to figure out which kind of person we ought to be. This morning, as we continue along in this saga, we're gonna see that there is yet another area of life in which people tend to fall into one category Or the other. And I would say this that as we look at chapter 17, we're going to find that either we are people like Absalom who trust in man, or we're people like David who trust in God. Two kinds of people those who trust in the power and resources of man, and those who trust in the power and resources of God. And again, I don't think we should spend any time trying to figure out in which camp. We should be. So, what we're going to see in our text this morning is a clear contrast between the strategy of man, what characterizes that, and the sovereignty of God. And we're going to see the foolishness of rebelling against the will of God, even when that may seem to be the best course of action. And we will also see the wisdom of trusting in the word of God, even when that seems like the worst thing we could possibly do at the moment. You know, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, he writes, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Even the wisest of men are made to look foolish when they oppose God. We're going to see that this morning. And the best laid plans made by the best equipped men can never thwart the powerful providence of God. I think it's important that we remember that. Proverbs 19.21 says this, maybe a verse that some of you have memorized from time to time. It says, many are the plans of the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Let's pray, and then we'll read some of this text this morning. Father, we are Thankful today for your word. Thankful, Father, that we can look at a, a text of Scripture that records a period uh, within the history of, of Israel and King David. And, and Lord, we can we can gain insight and understanding from this historical text as to how we should live today, uh, who we should listen to in moments of, of, uh, of need, uh, perhaps even desperation. Lord, I know that it can be difficult at times to know where to turn uh, with the various problems that arise in our lives. But I I pray, Father, that our first response would always be to turn to you, to your word. Lord, it's there where we will find the truth. It's there we will find what is real, uh, what is trustworthy. So, Lord, today open our hearts to all that you would say to us and I pray that we would leave here determined uh, not to lean to our own understanding, but to in all our ways acknowledge you who will indeed make our paths straight. We love you, Father. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At the conclusion of chapter 16, which Neil dealt with last week, Ahithophel who had been a close advisor to King David, really a good friend of King David, has now uh, taken the side uh, of Absalom. And there may have been good reason in Ahithophel's mind for him to to do that, uh, but you will recall that the first word of official advice that he gave uh, to Absalom as he entered Jerusalem was that he should take for himself uh, the ten concubines that David had left behind to take care of of the palace, uh, and in so doing to declare his own authority uh, over that which had once been his father's. Uh, And so we see that at the end of chapter 16. And then his advice continues. Uh, Absalom is concerned, of course, about how to... uh, continue this rebellion, how to thoroughly oust David from his position uh, as king. Uh, he's won the hearts of the people. There are yet others that he feels that he needs to win, uh, and of course uh, a king or a king to be defeated and a throne uh, to be stolen, and so that's what he's now seeking advice for, and Ahithophel is going to give him some advice. So let's read together. 2 Samuel 17, we'll We'll read down through verse four and we'll talk about this a little bit. The words will be here on the front if you need that. Uh, The Bible says, Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come to him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king and I will bring all the people back to you as a bridegroom comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Uh, Absalom, the elders of Israel, as they listened to Ahithophel, are establishing a strategy by which they can, again, take control uh, of Israel. And, of course, it's a a military strategy. There is a battle that everyone believes is coming. David has fled the city of Jerusalem. Uh, We mentioned that there were not only servants but soldiers who went with him. Absalom is well aware of this fact. He knows who is with his father, he perhaps even knows how many, and so he is seeking military advice, and as far as we know, uh, Absalom has no military experience, not from anything that we have read, and so he is seeking the advice of Ahithophel, as we were told at the end of chapter 16, whose counsel was if one had consulted the word of God. Ahithophel was an esteemed advisor, uh, had a reputation throughout all of Israel as being a man that you could count on to give you good advice. Uh, and so Ahithophel rightly goes, or Absalom rightly goes to Ahithophel uh, to establish this strategic plan uh, for the overthrow of his father's kingdom. And so I want to just give you some, some characteristics of the strategic pursuits of man, all right. This, of course, is not an exhaustive list, but often, man's strategizing is characterized by the very things that we see here. And the first thing I would say is that often the strategy uh, of man is based on experience; it's experiential, and and not only that, but it's egotistical, uh, self-centered. No- notice uh, again, we've already talked about the experience of Ahithophel. We don't know how many years he had served David, but, but quite some time. He was Bathsheba's grandfather, remember? So this was not a young man. This is a man who had served his king wisely and faithfully for many years. He had experienced every kind of situation perhaps that could be imagined other than perhaps the one that he was in right now. But nonetheless, if you needed a military strategy to go out and fight against King David, He was no doubt the guy that had the best insight uh, and so he has this experience uh, and the reputation to go along with it. So I want you to listen now to what Ahithophel says. I'm going to put some emphasis here on some personal pronouns. Look at verse one. Let me choose. All right. In other words, I've got this. I'm, I'm your man, Absalom. I can tell you how to handle this situation. Let, let me choose 12,000 men. I, I know which 12,000 men or which men. I, we don't know for sure that he was actually uh, speaking of, of, of 12,000 men exactly. But But let me choose this army that will go out and fight against your father. And then he says, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. In other words... Now's the time to strike. David has fled Israel. Uh, It was done in a hurry. They're they're no doubt, they're exhausted, they're tired, they're weary, they're discouraged. Now's the time to strike while the iron is hot. I will pursue. I will pursue David. I, look at verse 2, I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic. Ahithophel is just leaving Absalom out of this, right? Uh, you just let me handle this, Absalom. I'll choose 12,000 men. I'll choose an army to go fight against your father. I'll lead them in to battle. I will arise and pursue David tonight. I'll come upon him while he is weary and discouraged. I'll throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. So far, this is really a good military plan. Because the reality is, even though Absalom couldn't have known the full extent, uh, Ahithophel is right. David and his men and those who have fled Jerusalem with him, they are weary. They are discouraged. Perhaps some of them were in a panic. I will strike down only the king. In other words, we don't have to defeat the entire army. As a matter of fact, it wouldn't be in our best interest to do that. We need to have this precision strike against the king. We just need to remove him. And once we remove David from the scene, then everybody else will follow. They'll follow you. He says they'll, they'll come back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man and then all the people will be at peace. And notice it says there, and the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel, And the reality is, Ahithophel's advice was solid. His military strategy was sound. Uh, if Absalom had simply chosen at this point to allow Ahithophel to do what he had proposed to do, well, it would have been a very different outcome from what we're inevitably going to see in uh, our continued study of 2 Samuel. But for whatever reason, Ahithophel uh, was not the only one that Absalom wanted to hear from. Even though the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and the elders of Israel, Absalom said, Call Hushai. And what we're going to see as we read this advice that Hushai gives is that the strategic pursuits of man can also be exaggerated and emotional. Exaggerated in order to play upon the emotions of people. Remember, Ahithophel's advice was good, all right? Uh, It was a good strategic plan, a good military plan. If you're wondering why Absalom would ask to hear from Hushai, uh, the, 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 the quick answer is just to say this, that God was answering David's prayer. All the way back in 2 Samuel 15, verse 31, David had prayed O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. God was answering that prayer. Listen to what Hushai advises Absalom to do. Verse 6, when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says, and if not, you speak? Then Hushai said to Absalom, This time, The counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushai said, you know that your father and his men are mighty men. I want you to just listen to the way he describes David and his men. They're mighty men, and they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is expert in war. He won't spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say there has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant men, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. Hushai didn't lie to Absalom, did he? I mean, the reality is David and his mighty men are who we read about throughout the Old Testament. They were indeed a mighty army. David was a a great warrior. That's how he had made his his fame in Israel. He was the man who had killed his tens of thousands while Saul, his predecessor, had only killed his thousands. He was a mighty man. Uh, And those who followed him were his mighty men. And perhaps they were enraged. Uh, There doesn't really seem to be any indication that David was enraged. He was discouraged. He was saddened. Uh, Hushai says they're enraged. They're like a, a bear robbed of her cubs, there's. I used the word exaggerated when I got in this morning and kind of started looking over my notes. I thought maybe a better word might be he embellished the truth a little bit. He he wanted to make it sound as much, uh, well, he wanted to make it sound like it would change the minds of those to whom he was speaking. And indeed, as we're going to see, it does. He, he embellished the truth. He didn't just flat out lie, but he, he certainly exaggerated a little bit in order to play upon the emotions of Absalom and all of those who were listening at this moment. Yeah, David's experienced, he says. He's not gonna be with the people. If we come upon the people tonight, even if, if we are able to surprise them with this night attack, David won't be there. They're, we won't be able to just kill David, and then all the other people merrily follow us home. No, David's already hidden somewhere. He's not not with the people. And as soon as there are some casualties on our side of this battle, then word's going to go out that we've been slaughtered. Uh, The the rumors will begin to to, to put fear in the hearts of all of those who follow Absalom, even the valiant men who are with you, whose heart is like the heart of a lion. I mean, uh, Hushai is just really... Uh, making Absalom feel good about himself and his army, right? You're going to lead this group into battle. Now, Ahithophel doesn't need to lead your army into battle. But, but we need to do it in the right way. We need to do it in a way that, that we can accomplish our goal, our purpose here. And the way that Ahithophel is laid out for us just isn't good this time. Such a. Uh, he wasn't criticizing Ahithophel. Yes, he's been right. He's a wise old counselor. We ought to listen to him. But this time, this one time, his advice isn't the advice that we should follow. So Hushai embellishes the truth a little bit in order to play on the emotions of the people in it, and it works. And and, and and he he then says, "This is what he would do." He says, "But my counsel is this. This is verse 11. That all Israel be gathered to you. In other words, I'm not going to lead your army into battle, Absalom. You lead your army into battle. But let all Israel be gathered to you. We need a whole lot more men than the 12,000 that Ahithophel has proposed. We want to gather an army from all the nation of Israel. And we want them gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba and from north to south as the sand of the sea for multitude and that you go to battle in person. You lead your army into battle. And then he says, So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground. In other words, we will just overwhelm David and his mighty men with sheer numbers. And of him and all the men with him, not one will be left. In other words, we're not going to be able to just surgically remove David from the picture. We're going to destroy David. David and his army, all of the men, not one will be left. He says if he withdraws into a city, then all of Israel will bring ropes to that city and we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. So he uses, again, this embellishment. He plays upon the emotions of the king, of Absalom and, and his, his elders, Uh, And look what it says in verse 14. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. He swayed their hearts. But notice, before we give too much credit to Hushai and his strategic pursuits, again, Hushai, like Ahithophel, is just a man, all right? It says, for the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. So again, what we see here is God's will being carried out. The third aspect there of the strategic pursuits of man is this idea of of expedience and and really of elevation. Um, Ahithophel's plan was for him to lead Israel into battle. Hushai says, no, Absalom, you're the the new king. You need to lead your army into battle. It will elevate you among the people. It will show them that you are the one who is indeed their their leader. And that word better that's used there, the council of Hushai the Archite is better than the council of Ahithophel. That that word better implies that, that Absalom listened to both men and then he selfishly determined that Hushai's plan would produce greater benefits for him. So again, as we kind of get this you know, portrait of Absalom learning lessons from his life, we see that even here as he listens to the advisors uh, that he has there uh, in, in Jerusalem advising him on going into battle, ultimately he chooses the plan that's best for him. Have you noticed that not one time has Absalom asked the Lord to show him what to do? At no point do we read of Absalom praying to God. When you read the story of David in these two books, 1 and 2 Samuel, time and time again, God would go to the Lord. David would go to the Lord in prayer asking him what the best course of action. Should I do this or not? Should I do that or not? Not one time does Absalom pray. Not one time does he seek the advice of a prophet. He seeks the the advice of men and men alone. And again, that was the beginning of his downfall. And then he chooses based on what would be best for him, not best for Israel, not best for the men who would follow him into battle, but what would be best for him. So when you consider the characteristics of the, the strategic pursuits of man, those are the things that you find often characterize human strategies. They're based on experience. And experience is a good thing, but it's not always right. Uh, They're based on ego. Ahithophel said, I'll choose 12,000 men for you. I'll lead them into battle. I'll kill David. I'll bring the people back to you, rejoicing that they have a new king. I'll do that. I'll, 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 I'll. Often the strategic pursuits of man are based on exaggeration and emotion. Uh, we need to be careful when we're making important decisions because emotion can come into play. And then, of course, this whole idea of expedience. What's best for me? Making decisions based on what's best for me. Uh, never a wise course of action. Making decisions best... are ma- based on what will elevate me, make me look good. That's what Absalom did here. Uh, And it's going to ultimately lead to his downfall. So what we see there is this strategy of man, and then what we're going to have contrasted with it here is the sovereignty of God. I mean, we all know that God ultimately is in control of everything, right? I mean, we need to just think about this for a moment. David, the great king of Israel, has fled the city. I mean, it got to the point where he knew, I don't have any other options here. I need to take my people, those who are with me, and we need to get out of town. And they're waiting there at the Jordan River near the fords to hear what's going on in Jerusalem. Remember, he sent spies back into Jerusalem to send information to him, and so they're they're waiting there to hear this information. They don't have the benefit, really, of knowing everything that we know as we read through this this account, nor did Absalom have the benefit of knowing everything that we know as we read through this account. it's interesting here uh, when we find out, well, we'll we'll get to that in a minute, the strategic pursuits of man and those characteristics and then the sovereign purposes of God and the characteristics that that we will see there look what it says again we read this already for the lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of ahithophel so that the lord might bring harm upon absalom so we know a couple of things there god answered david's prayer all right, he turned to Hithophel's counsel to foolishness. He, he, he defeated the good counsel of Hithophel. And he did that for the purpose of bringing harm upon Absalom. So when we think of the, the characteristics of God's sovereignty, and you know, when you begin to talk about God's sovereignty with many people, everything kind of gets quiet, because most, most people have a hard time with the sovereignty of God. And you know why we have a hard time with the sovereignty of God? because we like to be in control. I like to be in charge of my life. I don't want anybody telling me how to live my life. Matter of fact, we might put ourselves in Absalom's place and say, why did you ask anybody at all what you ought to do? Why didn't you just make up your own mind and go do what you thought was best? I mean, that's the way a lot of us function every day, right? We don't ask anybody's advice, including God's. But God's sovereign purposes will stand as we will see as a matter of fact it says in Isaiah chapter 14 24 this is this is this is the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah he says the Lord of hosts has sworn as I have planned so shall it be and as I have purposed so shall it stand God has a sovereign purpose that will come to pass Every time. You know, I've said from this pulpit on many occasions, and I'll just say it again today, nothing can thwart the sovereign purposes of God. What God has ordained, and that's the word that's used here in that that last uh, verse, uh, 14, God had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel in order that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. So, in fact, God had also ordained to bring harm upon Absalom. That was his plan. That word ordained is a word that could be translated God commanded or God ordered. It's a a military term. Uh, There's a military battle being planned. Well, let me tell you, God had his own military plan. He had already given his command. He had already issued his orders. And it really didn't matter in the grand scheme of things what Ahithophel advised or what Hushai advised or what Absalom chose to do. Because God had already set things in motion. He had issued an authoritative statement or a proclamation. So so when we think of the sovereignty of God, we should think of that. God's proclamation. Where do we find the sovereign will of God revealed for us? Well, it's right here in the the commandments of Scripture. In In the proclamations made in the word of God. These are authoritative statements or proclamations where God says... Thus saith the Lord, this is what's going to happen. This is how things are going to, to go down. And God had already decided. He had already declared how things were going to go down. And so long before we get to the end of this chapter, we read that Absalom's in big trouble because God was going to do him harm. So there is this proclamation of God and then that purpose of God. The Lord commanded in order that he might bring harm upon Absalom. His purposeful proclamation. We also see when we talk about the sovereign purposes of God, we see the power of God behind that and the protection of God. And that's what what the rest of this chapter is about. God's power being exerted in behalf of his king, David, the man after God's heart. Verse 15 says, then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders, and thus and so have I counseled. So so Hushai lets the priests now, who were going to get word to David, both I and Ahithophel have given our advice to Absalom. There seems to be no indication that he knows which Absalom is going to choose at this point. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, Do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over. In other words, get on across the river. You're in danger where you are. Lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahemaz were waiting in Enrogel, and a female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell David, They were not to be seen entering the city, but a young man did see them and told Absalom. So both of them went away quickly uh, to the house of a man in Bahurim, who had a well in his courtyard. They went down into the well. They knew that Absalom's men were going to be after them. So they hid in this well, and the woman who owned the the well, owned the home, took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. So when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, where are these men? And and the woman said, they've gone over the brook of water. In other words, they they went that way. And when they had sought, could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. So these men who were on their way to deliver This message to David to move on across the river because they were in danger where they were, were about to be captured. I mean, it's like a scene out of a movie. They hid in a well and then they disguised, the woman disguised the the well so that it wouldn't appear to be a well. They came and they looked, they couldn't find anything, so they returned to Jerusalem. The scripture says, and after they've gone, the men came up out of the well and they went and they told King David and they said to David, arise and go quickly over the water for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. In other words, there there is an army coming. David arose and all the people who were with him and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one was left who had crossed over the Jordan. So... We see the power of God and the protection of God at work. Church, as God's children, we are under that powerful protection all the time. The reality is, just as David had enemies coming his way, there are enemies all around us, right? The devil, Neil mentioned it last week, his sole purpose is to steal, to kill, to destroy. We have a real spiritual enemy. There are enemies all around us, but we also are protected by the power of Almighty God. What's interesting about this is that David and and the thousands of people who were with him, they crossed the Jordan at night. Now, the Jordan River at times would be a difficult crossing enough, even under the best of circumstances. But this is a night crossing. That, that just amplified all of the dangers. But, but the scripture says, and again, because of God's protection, his providential security, that, that by the time the sun had come up, there wasn't a single person who had not crossed the Jordan. So here's the thing we need to always remember. God is more powerful than the strongest, best equipped army on the planet. All right? God is more powerful than the strongest, best-equipped army on the planet. Probably if I were to ask for a show of hands how many thought that the United States of America has the most powerful, best-equipped army on the planet, there'd be a bunch of us that would say that's right. We're the most powerful nation on the earth. And I'm not even here to argue that this morning. But what I would say is this. Plans of our sovereign God are going to come to pass. It doesn't matter how powerful an army we may have. It doesn't matter how powerful an army Putin may have in Russia or anybody else. God's plans will come to pass. Remember, that's what he said through Isaiah I have planned, and so it shall be. I have purposed, and so it shall stand. God is more powerful than the strongest, best-equipped army on the planet. And, of course, David knew this very well. Uh, as a shepherd boy, tending his father's flocks, Scripture tells us that he had defeated lions and bears, right? As a boy with a slingshot. Uh, pretty remarkable feat. I mean, we, we read about it, and we, we might go, wow, that's a neat thing, but, but pretty remarkable. And then, of course, as a young teenager, he went out and he faced Perhaps the greatest warrior that ever lived, right? The biggest, strongest, best-equipped soldier that ever was, Goliath. David killed that man, again, with a slingshot and a stone. You remember what David said to Goliath back in 1 Samuel 17? Listen to that. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read this to you. This is what David said to Goliath. He said, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. (laughs) He's talking to this giant man who has the most technologically advanced weaponry of his day. Sword, a spear, and a javelin. He says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Can you imagine a kid saying this to a grown man, an experienced warrior that stood almost nine feet tall, that was equipped the way this guy was equipped? He must have laughed. It was the last time he laughed. I'll strike you down, David said. I'm going to cut off your head. Then all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel, and that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with spear and sword. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Of course, we know that God protected David that day, and he protected the people of Israel. And he was protecting them then. He was protecting them now. And he protects us today as well. God is powerful beyond our wildest imagination. You know, we, we sing about all that God has done for us. But sometimes I, I think we don't really get it. We don't really get what it is to be saved. We don't get the, 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 the significance, the profound significance of what it means to be forgiven of our sins to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, to be able to go to the Lord and, and pray and make our requests known to him, to have, have that kind of constant access to the God of the universe. I don't, I don't think we really fully understand that. If, it, if we did, it, it would, our lives would just be radically different. So God, who had already decreed how this whole thing was going to go down, was at work bringing about his plan. And so I guess what I would say to you is when you look at the world scene and you see the dangers out there, uh, the military power that exists throughout the world and, and many of them haters of America and the American way of life, church, we don't have to be afraid because our powerful, sovereign Lord said he's going to protect us. So again, God protected David and the people as they crossed the Jordan River that night. And by the way, Absalom, as far as we can tell, had already begun to move. All right, The scripture says that he was camped somewhere in Gilead. He was was close to David. So God's protection not only only protected two men who were hiding in a well, but God protected the, the, the thousands of people who were with David who had to cross the river at night right under the very nose of Absalom and whatever army he had put together. That's just what God does. So by daybreak, not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. They were exhausted, no doubt. They were discouraged, no doubt. But they were safe. God sovereignly protects his people. And then, just want to get to the the last part of this, and the last few verses of this chapter. It says, David came into Mahanaim, an, an area across or on the other side of the Jordan River. And look what happens. He's met by all of these men. And they brought beds. This is verse 28. Basins, earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans and lentils, honey and curds and sheep and cheese from the herd for David and the people uh, to eat. They said, The people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. How would these men have known? to have these supplies ready for David? The Lord must have put it in their hearts, right? Because God knew where David was. That's the thing about the sovereign purposes of God. God knows everything. He's he's perceptive. I, I use the word perception and provision, and I coupled those words because God knows where you are, He knows what you need, and He makes provision for that. And just as it was true for David as he fled from Absalom... It's true for us today. God knows what you're going through. God knows what your needs are. And he's providing for you. He does it in a million ways. And again, sometimes I think that it just passes right by us. We don't even even stop to acknowledge the blessings of God. I mean, I guess I could understand the benefit of having a bed after being out in the wilderness all night and day, basins, earthen vessels, uh, wheat, barley, flour. My goodness, you, you, well, why didn't they just have a, a table set up with a great banquet feast already prepared? I think David says something about that in Psalm 23, doesn't he? You prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies, in the presence of my enemies. That's what was happening here. God was at work providing He knew where David was. He knew what David and his people needed, and he provided it right down to the honey and cheese. God knows where we are. He always provides us with his best. We need to be thankful for that. All right, let me just close. I'm just going to point out a couple of things. Number one, When our plans are opposed to God's plan, they are doomed to fail, no matter how great our resources might be. For centuries, humankind has been trying to destroy the Word of God, to eliminate it, and God's people for that matter. But here we are, with our Bibles in our hand, gathering together as the people of God, When the plans of mankind, even our plans, when our plans are opposed to God's plan, they're going to fail, no matter how great our resources might be. But here's the other thing. When our plans are aligned with God's plans, they are destined to succeed, no matter how few our resources might be. David had to hurry out of Jerusalem. He didn't have time to gather a lot of stuff. Matter of fact, he couldn't have if he had wanted to. There was no way to to move it all. So he left with, with the bare minimum, and yet God mightily, provided for David and his men. You may think that you don't have much of the world's goods, but let me just tell you this. God will accomplish his purposes in and through you no matter how much you have because you're his and so is everything else. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, mentioned it earlier. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We sang a moment ago I surrender all. Have you surrendered all to the Lord? David David had to just surrender all to the Lord here. He didn't have anything left. He surrendered all to the Lord. Therefore, he didn't have to surrender to Absalom. Surrender your all to the Lord. If you've not turned to Christ in repentance and faith, received him as Savior and Lord, surrender your all to Jesus today.